Well, if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 9. Gospel of John and chapter 9, or chapter 9, chapter 8. I'm getting ahead of myself. John chapter 8. I want to return to our passage from this morning. And I want to think about that statement that I made this morning. I told you that I had a, a, a statement that might be surprising. That statement that I made that we are all slaves. Might be shocking to some to, to think that. We've come to have quite a distaste in our mouths for the idea of slavery. So when we use the word slave... We kind of have a reaction. And if I say we are all slaves without any context, you might get concerned. But the context is John chapter 8. And that is a strong statement. And it is something that we naturally want to push back against. And that's why we're coming back to that idea tonight and to the text before us that we looked at this morning. The passage is John chapter 8. Go to verse 31. I'm going to read verses 31 through 38. Follow along as I read from God's Word, and you follow along in your copy of God's Word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly... My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. One thing this passage points to is that we are all slaves to sin without the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't turn to Jesus Christ in faith, we remain slaves to sin. It's one of the challenges of this passage, one of the truths of this passage, important passage, and important statements that Jesus makes. Go back to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. A characteristic of what it looks like to be a believer, what a life that truly believes in Jesus Christ looks like. It's one who abides in the word, abides in the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ. And then we heard it again there in verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. If God's word doesn't find a place in you, 
if you don't put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't turned in repentance to Christ, you are still enslaved to sin, and that is clear here in this passage as Jesus points in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, that is, everyone who has not turned in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who practices and remains in sin is a slave to sin. So, one thing this passage points to is that we are all slaves to sin, or scriptures elsewhere talk about being slaves to righteousness. We have a choice. We're either slaves to sin or slaves of God. One is exceedingly better than the other. One brings eternal separation from God. The other brings true freedom, true joy, true eternal life. The only kind of life to be lived on this earth, really, with real joy, is the one that's lived with our faith fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the choice is, Turn to Christ in faith. Turn to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Repent of sin. Believe in him. Or you remain a slave to sin. And there's this common idea that we can be our own masters. I pointed to it briefly this morning. Uh, The world around us would say, well, I'm the, the master of my own fate. I'm in control of my own destiny. It's It's really the delusion of the idea of free will when, in fact, that's a lie of the devil that keeps man from God to suggest that I have free will to do anything I want, to think anything I want, to say anything I want. In fact, if you think about it, that was the very lie that Satan told Eve in the garden. Genesis 3, 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. You're in control, Eve. Don't let God tell you what to do. He's keeping things from you. The devil wants you to believe that you're a master, you, you and I. The devil wants us to believe that we're the master of our own destiny, our own fate, that you can control your own life without anyone's help. But the truth is that Everyone is a slave to somebody or something. Some people are enslaved to their work. Some are enslaved to things. Every waking thought is given to taking care of their possessions, dreaming about how to get more or, or bemoaning the fact that their things keep breaking down. And uh, you would... You might laugh to think of of this, but often I pray over the things that I own that break down or pray that the things that I have won't break down because they can be frustrating maintaining things, right? But you live in this world, you need a few things. The fewer the better, but we do need a few things. And uh, for me, there's nothing like the frustration of having a car that's breaking down when I wish I was a good mechanic and I am not. But some people are enslaved to those things. Some are enslaved to habits. Some are slaves to their, their temper. Some are slaves to their 
their thought life, their hidden thought life, the hidden sensuality that they struggle with. We're all slave to what we obey is the bottom line. Basically, if there are only two masters, it all comes down to whom we're enslaved by and will we be enslaved by Satan and sin or will we be slaves of God and righteousness? Being a slave of God and righteousness isn't, isn't nearly as bad as that word slave makes it sound. Here's the problem, as Jesus puts it. John chapter 8 and verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20 puts it like this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Surely not. So the fact is, everyone is a sinner, and everyone starts out as a slave of sin. You realize that? Contrary to what some in the world might say, contrary to popular opinion, everyone isn't basically good. So what is sin? What is sin? Some would say, I'm not that bad. They have a definition of sin. I'm not that bad. You talk about sinners. I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. Surely God wouldn't call me a sinner. I've done a few little things that you might call white lies or some things that are kind of you know not okay, but, but I'm not all that bad. Surely I'm not as bad as my neighbor. My neighbor, my neighbor lets his trash blow into my yard, doggone it, and I let my leaves blow into my neighbor's yard. And so we go about and about, right? Uh, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. Hmm. The Bible doesn't cut us that kind of slack. Listen to how the Bible describes sin in 1 John 3, 4, when it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. But I'm not lawless. <laughs> the Bible says you are if you make a practice of sinning. So sin is breaking God's law. And God has laid down clearly for us his law in the Bible. So when we do what God says we should not do, or we do not do what he says we should do, we've broken God's law. We've sinned. And the people who think that certain kinds of sin shouldn't bring God's judgment, the problem with sin is that all sin disqualifies us from the presence of God, from coming into God's presence, from being in God's presence. Again, the Bible says, Romans three twenty three for you know it, do you? For all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What the world around us fails to grasp is that God is holy and righteous. He is perfectly just. He does no wrong. And in order to be freed from sin's penalty, God demands perfection. 
But that presents another problem. The problem is that no one is perfect. Not your neighbor, not the one sitting next to you, like you didn't know that already. We all fall short of God's standard of perfection. Not only is everyone a slave to sin, but the slavery of sin, the Bible says, it brings death. A sin carries with it a penalty. That's, that's what the Bible says in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. And this isn't only referring to physical death. Uh, this is also pointing to spiritual death and eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. We don't like to talk about hell, do we? There's going to be a judgment for those who refuse to repent of sin, for those who refuse to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There is going to be a day of judgment. It's not something that believers in Jesus celebrate. It's not something we should celebrate. I don't think it's something we should beat people up with either, but it's also a part of the truth that some people need to understand as they challenge you or challenge the Word of God over whether or not there's a thing called sin in their lives. Sadly, even well-known religious leaders over the years, and you might know the names of some of them who have been very prominent, have proclaimed that, that God is love and that hell is not a place of eternal judgment. That hell is not a place reserved for those who refuse to repent of sin and, and believe in Jesus. That is, that is a huge departure from the truth of the Bible. But that hasn't stopped many from teaching and believing just that. That God isn't, isn't the big meanie that you're making him out to be. And I would argue we're not making God out to be a big meanie. We're, we're pointing to the truth of the scriptures which shows that God is righteous and holy, and just. The Bible describes hell as a place of constant torment, a place of misery and pain. It's a place of everlasting fire, a fire that can never be extinguished, and from which the residents of hell will never find relief. It's tragic. That ought to sober us up about that neighbor who lets his garbage blow into our yard. Has he heard the gospel? Is that keeping you from befriending him so that you have an opportunity to point him to the gospel? Hell's torment is so tragic that Jesus said, that in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen to Luke 13, verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. In between the weeping and gnashing of teeth and you yourselves cast out, there's something for believers to look forward to. Did you hear it? When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, whoa, 
Well, the first person we want to see is Jesus. But how about that? But for unbelievers, this is sobering. It ought to be sobering for believers, too, who are concerned about the people around them who are lost. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and you yourselves cast out. Hell is a place of everlasting torment. Hell is a place of endless suffering of body and soul in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Hell is a real place reserved for those who die as slaves of sin. But, some will say, but who will be judged there? Who deserves to go to hell? Surely, I don't deserve to go to hell. Certainly, God wouldn't send me there. The Bible says in Revelation 21, in verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That passage is pointing to all people who have not repented of sin. All people who have not turned in faith to Jesus Christ alone. This is is who will be judged in hell. So who deserves the punishment reserved for them in a a real place called hell? Who deserves this kind of punishment? Uh, There might be an argument there that, oh, certainly I don't deserve that. The fact is everyone has sinned and since slavery brings death and an eternal death. An eternal separation from God in a place called hell is what we all deserve because sin is a grievous affront to a holy God. Remember our righteous and holy God. So that's some seriously bad news, isn't it? This is what makes the good news so good. There is actually great news. We call it the good news. This good news of the gospel is that we can be freed from the slavery of sin. Your coworker who needs Christ can be sla- uh, can be freed from the slavery of sin. Your your relative who needs Christ they can be freed, and maybe this is you tonight. You can be freed from the slavery of sin. We don't have to face eternal separation from God. We don't have to face eternal torment in hell. So how can we be set free from the slavery of sin? Again, it's only, it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that anyone can be set free. That is, in fact, the point of the passage that we began looking at this morning, where Jesus says, John eight thirty six. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hear this, too, from Paul, who wrote, Romans 6.23, I read part of it earlier. I'll share the whole thing this time. And you may know it very well. For the wages of sin is death, but. One of my favorite words in the Bible. But, and often followed by God, but not here. But God, I love those two words. Here, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the great news that we're talking about. Paul also said, Romans 5.8, here it is, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is also the good news God's people celebrate at Christmas. Let us never forget it. We know this, right? It's not about the presents. It's not about the celebrations, the time with family and friends, if you're able to do that. It's not about having a, a party with loved ones. And even in those opportunities ought to be that reminder that the reason we gather is Jesus Christ. This is the good news that we celebrate at Christmas. God, seeing the sinfulness of man and with great love for us, what did he do? He, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world in human flesh as a baby. This is not how we would have done it. But that is how God chose to do it. And Jesus willingly submitted himself to God the Father. Because part of the Father's plan was not just coming as a baby, but living as a man and going to the cross. And so he willingly submitted himself to the Father's will. The Father's will delivered him into the hands of sinful men who beat him and mocked him and ridiculed him. And Jesus went to Calvary's cross And there he died for sinners. He paid the price for sinners, taking on himself the judgment that we deserve. That's incredible, isn't it? Jesus paid for our sin. You put your faith in Christ, he paid for your sin. The Bible says, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Think about that in light of that thought from our passage here in John 8 today. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore our sins to set us free from captivity to sin. That we might die to sin, it says. That we might live to righteousness. That that we're enabled to be righteous in Christ that we're given the righteousness of Christ, the imputed righteousness of Christ, but we're also now able to say no to temptation with God's help because by his wounds you have been healed. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can be assured that Jesus died for your sin. In particular, your sin. In particular, my sin. Jesus endured God the Father's judgment and paid for the judgment that you and I deserved to pay ourselves. And he paid for all of it. Not just some of your sin, but all of your sin. 
How wonderful is that? That is good news. Jesus completely paid the price for your sin. It says 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Through faith in Jesus, we are cleansed from all sin. All past sin, the present sins you struggle with and want to be done with, and the future sins you haven't committed yet. And the news gets better. Jesus credits his righteousness to your account. The Bible says, Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That is, not by works of the law. Justified by faith. One is justified. That's being declared righteous. Even while we are still living here on earth, still fighting sin. In God's eyes, because of Christ, declared righteous. By faith apart from works of the law. So the moment you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior from sin and hell, immediately Jesus removes the debt of sin. It's no longer held against you. And at the same time, applies his righteousness to your account. So the problem is that no matter how good you may try to be, you cannot erase your sin. Uh, we, would, we would try to do that if we could, right? And some people do try to do that. They, they try to perform good works. I'll do good works. They'll, that'll balance That'll balance the scale of justice in my account. You don't need to do that. That is futile. Jesus Christ did that for you. Jesus Christ offers not only to pay for your sin, but also to credit his righteousness to your account and qualifies you for eternal, eternal life, which you cannot do yourself. And what good news that is. It's wonderful news, great news. So how can a person receive that offer? How can a person be set free from the slavery of sin and hell? Remember, you're either slave, either a slave of sin or a slave to righteousness. How can you be freed from sin so that you can be God's child? The answer is you must believe in Jesus. The Bible says, John 3:16, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is it to believe in Jesus? Someone might ask you. I'm supposed to believe in Jesus? What is it to believe in Jesus? I would suggest it involves three things. First of all, it involves knowledge. You must know something. Not just anything. There's something you need to know. You need to know that everyone is a slave to sin. That's hard for people to grasp, isn't it? It might have been hard for you to grasp before you came to faith in Christ. I've met people and I've had people tell me that they've known people who, who say, I don't sin. 
Okay. That's hard to believe. Let me just watch your life for a minute. So you need to know that. You must know something, and you need to know that something is that everyone is a slave to sin, including you. You need to know that sin's slavery brings death. And you need to know that Jesus Christ can set you free. So there's something to know. Second, you need to be willing to repent of your sin, seeking God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's that first act of obedience to God. Among many to follow. If you're in Christ. So you need to be willing to repent of your sin, seeking God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And then third, you must trust in Jesus to do what he promised to do. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? And isn't it frustrating when you share the gospel with someone and you try to make it as simple as that and show them the scriptures as simple as that and they, they don't believe? Pray for them. Hold them up before the Lord in prayer. Seek to live a life that honors God. Be a, be a living witness. Try to be a living sermon for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel in their lives and keep praying for them and keep sharing the gospel with them. And think about those who shared the gospel with you before you came to Christ, if that's true of you. You need to know, and it's good for us to know these things as if you're a, a follower of Christ, to, to take this truth into the community in which you live, whether it's in the workplace or your neighborhood or in your own family. The people need to know that, that they're enslaved to sin and they are trapped and the only way to freedom is to put their faith in Jesus Christ who sets them free. And, and then they need to be willing to repent of that sin. Say, I, I realize I'm a sinner. And I realize I need a Savior. And I realize that Jesus is that Savior. And they've got to trust in Jesus to do what he promised to do. To believe in Jesus means to depend on him alone and not your own frail efforts at good works. Not your own efforts at good works to save you from sin and hell. Belief in Jesus Christ is, is simply this. It's transferring your dependence on yourself from you to Jesus and on him alone to save you from sin and the consequences of hell. It's not simply having knowledge about Jesus. Otherwise, everyone who walks through the door of a church and listens to a sermon that's about Jesus would be okay. But that's not true. It's not simply about having knowledge about Jesus. It's not simply being raised by believing parents or by having a grandmother who prayed for you. You must trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin. So the question again for us and for every person on earth is this, whose slave will you be? Will you remain in your sin? Will you remain a slave to sin and sin's heavy grasp? Or will you joyfully turn to Christ in repentance and faith and become a slave of righteousness, which is the ultimate joy to be found here on earth, being obedient to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you rejoice tonight
as you're reminded of these truths from God's word, that you need not be sin's slave. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been liberated from sin's grasp. And if you struggle with sin and you struggle with temptation, you can turn to the word and turn to the Lord in prayer and continually ask for his ongoing help because he longs to give it to you in your battle with sin and temptation. And I trust that you're encouraged and strengthened to know the joy of, God, of being God's slave, being a slave of righteousness. Listen to Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. May that be each of us. That's my desire, my prayer, and I hope it's yours. That God's children who walk out of Chardon Baptist Church on a Sunday night and walk back into the world for a week, live for Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, liberated from sin's grasp, strengthened by the Word, to live for Jesus Christ, to speak the truth of the gospel to anyone who will listen, and to love God with every fiber of our beings. For God's glory and our good.